This is Palm Sunday. Super excited you've joined us. We are uh, in the fourth week of this incredible series called uh, Choose, and Joy, Choose Joy. And, uh, you know, we call this Palm Sunday because this is the week, one week before crucifixion, Jesus rides into Jerusalem and people are throwing down palm leaves and pulling off their coats and declaring, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're celebrating him as the king of the Jews. And, of course, uh, literally, in a few days later, they're going to be crying out, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. So this is Palm Sunday. And uh, we're focused on this notion of experiencing joy. Actually, we're going to pick up where we left off last week. We're going to continue to talk about unlocking and experiencing joy together. Now, listen, if you missed the first several uh, weeks of teaching, the, the link is right here. Please, by all means, get to our website and catch up on that teaching. All right, here's a theme uh, text that we've been working through for the entire Uh, series. Let's read again. The writer of the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. Therefore, he says, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything, shout everything, that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. And if you've been with us uh, over the last several weeks, you know I've been wrestling with this question that I heard on NPR a few weeks ago. And people are wrestling with this all over the country, especially with the shootings in Colorado and the week before that, the shootings in, uh, in Atlanta and all the stuff that's related to the pandemic and to the COVID. We're uh, uh, around. People are asking this question. During times of stress and great suffering, is experiencing joy impossible? Now, listen, we answered this in the first few weeks. We said, it's possible. Is it naive? We answered and we said, no, it's not naive. Or even callous. By the time we get to the end of the teaching today, we want to answer this question about, is it callous? This, this notion of callous suggests that there are some people who may be experiencing joy, but you are afraid or even ashamed to share it, given all of the suffering that's going around. In a sense, is it heartless to experience and to share the joy that you're experiencing? What a question. So stay with us and lean in as we, as we move forward. All right. Okay, here's the text. <clears throat> Let's, here's where I want to begin to focus on. First, let me help you with our definition of joy, just in case you're joining us for the very first time. Joy is not a feeling based on circumstances, but it's an attitude that defies circumstances. This, the, it's an attitude. It's a, the way that you look at the world, your perspective on the world that defies circumstances. Jesus, when the text says uh, that Jesus endured the cross a little later on in the same verse that I read, uh, it, it's talking about a conviction that Jesus had that defies circumstances. It may ultimately result in feelings, but those feelings will not be, will not be first based on the circumstances. They will defy the circumstances. All right. And of course, if you've been with us, you know this lady right here. Her name is Kay Warren. She's the wife of Pastor Rick Warren and she's written a book. Here's the book that she's written. And I've commended it as a kind of companion to this series. Choose Joy, she writes, uh, is the title of the book, because happiness isn't enough. Here's a woman who's known great, uh, who has great faith, but who has also known great tragedy. And so uh, I think she has something credible to say when it comes to this particular subject. Uh, so, uh, here's her definition of joy. Joy is the settled assurance. Type that in the chat. The settled assurance. In other words, I'm fully convinced and convicted about this assurance. 
that God is in control of all the details of my life and the quiet confidence. Come on, type uh, confidence in the chat. That ultimately, come on, say out loud, ultimately, ultimately, me, it, it, it may not happen in the immediate, it may not happen next month, it may not happen next year, it may not even happen in my earthly lifetime, but ultimately, everything is going to be all right. And the determined choice to praise God in all things. And here's what the writer of Hebrews chapter 11 says. This is the chapter just prior to what we're focused on in chapter 12. He talks about through that entire chapter what faith looks like in the lives of the faithful. And how that opens them up to this, this attitude that facilitates joy in their living. Now faith, he says, is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And if you look here closely, you can see Kay Warren's uh, definition of joy right here, right? It's, it's the settled assurance. <laughs> it's the quiet confidence. And I might add the unimpeachable, the unimpeachable hope that one has when we put our total trust in a God that has acquired ultimate victory through his son, Jesus. That is what the writer of Hebrews says. So let's look at some keys that will unlock, but will help us to both unlock and experience. Keys to unlocking and experiencing a joy that defies circumstances. Last week, I told you about one of those keys for reflection. Another key is faith and trust in God. A third key is acceptance. Now, Let's go back and look very closely at the text. I'm going to show you where I want to focus on in the text today. Therefore, since we have surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off. Here's where I want to focus today. Everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on the sin that so easily entangles. I just simply want to say this very quickly, that we do have to acknowledge the fact that some of the stuff that soaks up our joy flows out of Poor choices, irresponsible decisions that we've made. And one more thing. You know, I just heard a story uh, the other day about this incredible businessman who was trying to get uh, to an appointment. It was extremely important that he got there on time. Here he is in the underground parking lot, driving, looking, driving, looking for a parking place. Can't find it. He's about to panic. It, it becomes so desperate that he says, he starts praying, God, oh God, oh God, if you would open up a parking place for me, I promise I'll go to church every day and I'll stop drinking vodka, I promise. And the next second, a car pulled out and a space opened up right at the entrance. He immediately looks up to God and he says, never mind God, I found a place. <laughs> Here's the point. Here's a guy that is determined to do life his own way without God, apart from God. He only needs God in cases of emergency. That leads us to poor choices, to life issues uh, that smothers out our joy. So that's all I want to say. I just want to stipulate that about the sin. But here's where I want to go back to this text. So I want you to notice this. Go back one. I want, I want you to notice this. Throw off everything that hinders now, another word for this word hinders is, could be weights, right? Back then and now, if you're training to be a, 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 a fast runner often, a good athlete, you train with weights. And you finally get to a point where you throw the weights off and you're no longer hindered and you're faster, you're more efficient, you're more effective. Here's how I want you to lean in on this text. I want you to think about this. Let us throw off everything that hinders us from experiencing joy right now. So here's the question I've got to ask you. What's hindering you from experiencing joy right now? 
Because what the writer of Hebrews is saying is you got to position yourself to let it go, to throw it off. All right. Here's one of the things that we need to, to, to throw off that hinders us. And it's captured in the key that I've called acceptance. <clears throat> and so acceptance. And, and here's, it's a, it's a mental shift that you and I have to make in terms of what we expect to encounter in life. Here it is. Here's what I want to challenge you to accept. You got to accept that broken life will be hard and painful, difficult. It will. Now, the fact of the matter is that most of us, we think the opposite. We, we, most of us are trained to think that broken life is going to be cool, right? If we just get the American dream, get the Tesla, get the house, come on, get some money in the bank, and get enough money, enough power, enough influence, we can somehow live a great life free of pain and free of difficulty, and that is not true. It just isn't. But if you flip that paradigm, right, if you, if, you, if you conclude this, broken life is supposed to be difficult and painful, right? It's, it, I should expect to find injustice. I should expect to find dishonest people. I should expect to find sickness and disease and death. I should never be surprised by it because I'm living in a life that has been broken and shattered by sin itself. The entire creation rumbles with brokenness. The moment you decide that I'm going to expect that broken life is supposed to be broken, doesn't mean that I don't keep working for justice, I don't keep working for things, I don't look in the midst of the brokenness for wonderful things that are there, and they truly are. We'll talk about that a little later as we move forward. But if my paradigm is to assume that, you know, broken life is supposed to be difficult, then when I come across justice and honest people and, and good days, I'm surprised by joy. I can rejoice even in the midst of difficult moments. This needs to be your paradigm. Listen, there's a woman who was on the NPR uh, program that was named uh, uh, Nina Victorian, entrepreneur and a life coach. She said something that I thought was very fascinating about this expectation. She says for years she could never open herself up to love because she had experienced loss previously. And she just assumed that whoever she would love, she would lose them. And then she said she came to a conclusion one day that at the end of the day, <clears throat> everything is going to be lost at some point. We call that death. Loss of parents, loss of kids, loss of spouse, loss of wealth. It's called death. And once she realized that she opened up her heart and that enabled her to engage in the joy of love now, not worry about something she could not keep out of her life. Look at this. Uh, Renee Brown talks a lot about this. She says, so often we think that we can close our heart off like a wall and keep pain and disappointment and shame out. Don't feel those things. And somehow joy can seep through. But the reality is, next screen, is this, that when we close our heart off to pain and disappointment and shame and all of that, it's also closed out to joy. So when we reflect on the text where the text says, you know, Jesus endured the cross for the joy that was, you know, he's, he, he's experiencing fully the pain. It's going to also allow him to experience fully, ultimately, the joy. 
How many of you need to exercise faith right now and open up your heart and experience pain, which is also the gateway to experiencing joy? That's the lesson that Anna won, lost, um, learned. Secondly, notice this. Let's go back to the, Let us run the perseverance, the race that's marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Notice this. Here's what the writer is saying, and, and, and he's saying it from the perspective. He says, look, the, the, the great cloud of witnesses, they are now in a place of eternity where they can look back and they can see the long race that they ran. They can look forward and they can see how Jesus has secured the ultimate victory and has disempowered permanent death, destroyed permanent death, right? And, 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 and so they're, they're now cheering us on like, like people in a Super Bowl football stadium, cheering on their team. Don't stop. Keep running. Keep running. Victory is yours, they say. And he said, so each of us now have got to run our race that's marked out for us, but we need to recognize that that race is going to take us through pain, it's going to take us through difficulty, and it's going to require that we have perseverance. But victory is assured. All right? Now, keeping that in mind, check this next slide out. Because it speaks to the fact that not only must we change our paradigm when it comes to accepting that life is difficult and painful, Sometimes we got to change, know when to change our prayers. Listen, sometimes the prayer is, God save me. We saw this in the, in the final part of Hebrews chapter 11, where the writer talks about all the people who God delivered from lion dens and fiery furnaces, great miracles. But at the same time, he also talks about all those people who God did not deliver, got sawed in half and so forth. The Bible is completely honest about that, right? And those people, at some point, they had to move from praying, God save me, to praying, God give me the strength to endure. Because ultimately, I trust it's going to be all right. But right now, the miracle I'm asking for is not going to give me the strength to endure. You've got to know how to discern the difference between these prayers. You know, uh, last weekend I had a wonderful pleasure of preaching uh, a message for the commissioning of our Stephen ministers. We have tons of them, quite a few of them now. A Stephen minister in our church is someone who's done 50 hours of training. And we deploy them to walk with people who are going through difficult seasons. The word the emphasis is on the word seasons of life. And so you may be going through a divorce or you may have been diagnosed with cancer. And we've got people who are trained how to walk with you. And so as I preached that message, I shared with them a story about uh, how I had seen multiple miracles in my early days of pastoring in Roxbury Presbyterian Church. God raising up people uh, from sickness uh, in incredible hospital situations. And so this one young man uh, was in a terrible situation. And was actually dying. And about one or two o'clock in the morning, I'm in the hospital lobby on my knees praying. The nurse comes in. She says, Reverend, she's kind of angry at me. She says, why don't you tell the mom that her son is dying so she can maximize the time that she has with him? And I just, I'm so offended by this. Because you don't know my God is my, is, is my response, right? <laughs> you don't know what all God has done, right? I, I could go through chapter and list, you know. Uh, uh, that's the first part of, of Hebrews talking about delivering people, right? The next day, the mother came to me and said that her son told her earlier that morning he had a dream and that in that dream, he was in a casket and that he was ultimately going to die. But God had assured him he would be okay. And it dawned on me. 
since God couldn't trust me to discern the difference between helping the mom to move from praying for a miracle to move to praying for strength, he had to show the young man a vision and he had to deliver the message. Mom, get ready. I'm going to die. But I'm going to be. Okay. It takes often more faith to believe God in the midst of the absence of miracles than it does when miracles come. You know, a lot of you guys left the church you are pulled back from God because you heard some preacher tell you that if you had just enough faith, God was going to work a miracle every single time. And your grandmother died, right? Or the marriage fell apart. And you just forget it. But the Bible, the preacher kind of got that part wrong because the Bible is very honest. Sometimes God makes miracles. And sometimes God doesn't. And what makes God miraculous isn't that he removes all the brokenness out of life. What makes God miraculous is that he, he uses the brokenness for redemptive purposes. Trust him because ultimately, <laughs> as the writer of Hebrews says, he secured the victory. Here's a woman by the name of Dr. Edith Eager. At 90 years old, she wrote her first book called The Choice. At 93, she wrote her second book. She's a psychiatrist, life coach, uh, that's called uh, The Gift. She was in Auschwitz. She's a Holocaust survivor. Her mom was put in one of those human ovens and was murdered there in that uh, encampment. And here's what she says. No pain. Horrible. Here's what she says. I can't say that everything happens for a reason, that there's a purpose in injustice or suffering, but I can say that pain, hardship, watch this, pain, hardship, and suffering are the gift that helps us grow and learn and become who we are meant to be. In other words, she's pulling out an incredible point that I think that, that, that allows, that kind of helps us to understand how God allows us to go through some challenging things. You see, uh, 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 difficulty and development works together as we trust him with the ultimate outcome. Here's what she's saying in summary. Here's what the writer of Hebrews is saying in summary. The next four. Here's what she said. Broken life will be hard and painful, but it will be worth it, guys. And, and, and those of us who are faith, we will work for justice and we'll work to make the world better because we know that our work is tied to the ultimate victory of Jesus. And that that redemptive work works its way back and makes our suffering for good. Worth it. Never a waste. All right. The last key. I want to talk about this. Check this out. It's gratitude. Everybody said gratitude. Just type that in the chat. Gratitude. Here's what uh, Kate Warren says about gratitude. This is, this, this is a key that op- unlocks our ability to experience joy in the midst of suffering. Watch this. And the absence of gratitude hinders us from experiencing joy. All right. Here's what Kate Warren writes. You cannot have a joyful heart without having a grateful heart. And you cannot be a grateful person and not experience joy. If you're grateful, you're going to experience joy. Those who can praise God will experience joy. And those who are joyful will thank God. If you're joyful, you should thank God. Joy and gratitude always go Together. Gratitude. He shout gratitude. 
Here's what the psalmist says. Listen to what the psalmist says here. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. Notice the hidden insight here. The reason we are filled with joy is because we have recognized that God has done great things for us. In the middle of a broken world, in the middle of an unjust world, in the middle of a world that is, is riveting with racism and sickness and disease and pandemic and people shooting up one another, in the middle of all of that, that brokenness, the normal brokenness, I've recognized, I see around me the great things that God has done for me. When you see it, comes gratitude. One of my favorite preachers is uh, Pastor Tim Keller. And uh, he's just been amazing. I think he just turned 70. And he just wrote a major article in one of the, in the Atlanta, one of the major uh, national publications, disclosing that he has been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And that he has come to terms with acceptance that death is in his near future. And he processes out loud in this article how this both caught him off God, challenged his faith, and how he's worked through it as he's getting ready to die. And one of the things that he says, see, see that acceptance in there? God give me the strength to endure. And one of the things he talks about is that, you know, before this a diagnosis that how he and his wife, even when they went on vacation, they'd go on vacation and uh, while on vacation, <laughs> he's working on a future project, she's working on a future project. They took vacation so they could get away from work so they could find time to work. And that was the cycle of their life. <laughs> and he said the words of Yoda uh, from Star Wars, really kind of defined how he and she was living their lives. All his life, Yoda says, all his life has he looked away to the future, the horizon. Never his mind, never go back, never his mind on where he was. How many of you are like that? That you, you're always thinking about tomorrow. You're always thinking about, I can't wait till. That's one of the words you got to pay attention to. I can't wait till. You got to be, how many of you are dealing with that, right? You're, you're finding, <laughs> you're taking off work so you can work. You know, when you go to a mall or something, you want to figure out where you are, you see the map and there's a sign that says on the map, you are here. <laughs> this is where you are. There needs to be something that triggers in your mind as we move forward that reminds us, Pay attention to the moment you are here. Because of the diagnosis, here's what Pastor Tim Keller writes about him and his wife's experience now. To our surprise and encouragement, Kathy and I have discovered that the less we attempt to make this world into heaven, whoa, the less we attempt to make this world into our permanent destination. The less we attempt to, 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 to expect this world to be perfect, the more we are able to enjoy. In other words, the more aware I am that I'm passing through this world, the more aware I am that life is fleeting, the more I begin to pay attention to the moment. 
And he goes on and writes this. Here, here's, here's what he also says. So no longer are we burdening it with demands impossible for it to fulfill. We have found that the simplest things, these are the great things that the Lord has done in the midst of brokenness. I can see, he's saying we can see it now with our eyes. We can see them we, with our ears. We can hear them. We can touch them. We can experience them. We're slowing down and engaging life with our senses. Watch this. The simplest things from the sun on the water and flowers in the vase to our embraces, he and his wife, sex and conversation bring more joy than ever in the midst of heading towards death. This has taken us by surprise. Here's the insight I want you to get. Here's a summary of the insight. Right? This, is, this will help you to experience joy. Cultivate the discipline of being and experiencing. Stay right here. Cultivate the discipline of being in the moment and experiencing life right where you are. I mean, don't be the person who says, you know, I wish I had a house like that one, right? And the one that you have is paid for and you don't even use all the rooms in the house that you have. Don't be the person that can't wait to go buy three more dresses and you've got 20 dresses that you have not worn in the last year. Come on. Don't be the person that says, I need a 70-inch TV to go right there despite all the TVs you have in every room that you never watch. Learn to step outside and see the stars. Learn to, to engage in the moment and to become conscious you know, I had just read this about Tim Keller, and my wife and I went on a, on a hike the other day, Sunday, and it was in the back of my mind. And usually when I go on a hike, we're talking about all kinds of things, including work and all that stuff. I, I shut out work from my perspective other than what we were rejoicing on and celebrating and all of that. I made sure that I was in the moment. She did too made sure that we recognized that this was a special moment that we were enjoying. My senior assistant, um, Jamie, shared her, her son just got married last weekend, and she said she realized that they were going to be spending the last weekend together in the moment. And so she said she maximized that time. I mean, she did the kids' hair, and she fixed the food, and they took pictures. This is your last breakfast. This is your last lunch together before you get married, so forth and so on. And she soaked up the moment. Learn to soak up the moment. Stop waiting for the perfect moment to experience your joy. Take a picture of that. Start experiencing your joy by soaking up the moment. All right, let me end it here. Here's the next, put the next, here it is. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders. There's one more thing we need to throw off that keeps us from joy. Are you ready for it? Here it is. Guilt. This gets back to that question earlier. Guilt. Check this out. Let's go. Let's get rid of. Let go of guilt as a reason not to experience joy. Here's what Dr. Edgar wrote. I thought this Edgar wrote. This is so powerful. This he says. 
Sometimes we think that if we move on from loss or trauma, if we have fun and enjoy ourselves, if we continue to grow and evolve, that we are somehow dishonoring the dead or dishonoring the past. But it's okay to laugh. It's okay to have joy. She shared a story about a family that had lost a 28-year-old son and they would meet monthly to remember the loss. And she said, she said to, to the, excuse me, the group of them, people, and she, they were invited her because of her feel. And she says, listen, it's okay for you guys to meet monthly to remember, but shift your focus. Don't meet to remember the loss. We had him for 20 years, eight years, and, we, and he's gone, and all the things we're missing out on. She says, meet to celebrate the gift that you had him for 28 years. And the memories and the wonderful things and the joy. And she says, and when, you, and when your husband invites you to dance at a wedding, don't refuse to dance at the wedding because your, your son never got to, to, to experience his wedding and somehow you're dishonoring him. No, she says, dance, because that is what he would want you to do. Dance. <laughs> Somebody say praise the South Dance. Oh, my gosh. Let's end here. Let's end here with the, 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 the last text. I just want to summarize. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses that assures us that victory is ours, dance! <laughs> Therefore, let us throw off everything that hinders us. Dance! That's what he's saying. Come on now. Everything that hinders us and fix our eyes on Jesus while we run the race that has been marked out for us, knowing that Jesus has secured the ultimate victory. And he says to us, soak up the moment and dance. Amen. Amen. God. Teach us, teach us how to cultivate being in the moment and experiencing life around us because of our confidence that you secured ultimate victory over permanent death and human sinfulness. And while things may not be all right right now, you're doing great things in the midst of it. May we soak up the moment and dance. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, it's decision time. What decision will you make in this moment has everything to do with uh, your unlocking and experiencing joy despite the challenges of suffering? So here's how I want to challenge you to do it. Let's interact with our connection card. If you're, in, if you're on Facebook, a link is pop, popping up right now. There's a link on our website. If you're in our NBCC app, then just simply go to the Sunday uh, section under the connection card and, uh, and, and select uh, my next steps with Jesus. And there you're going to find a number of steps that you can take your next step of faith to move forward. The top two have to do with A, you want to become a Jesus follower. You want to surrender your life to his authority forever. There's an opportunity for you to do that. You can check that. Secondly, maybe your faith has been shattered 
for years. But today you want to trust Jesus afresh for the very first time in years. I want you to check that. And if you need more information, then there's a, there's a place there for you to check that. And there are other choices that you want to consider. But now listen, we want to make this as easy as possible for you to make a life-changing decision. So if you don't have the connection card in front of you, here's the deal. Go ahead and get your phone right now. Go ahead. I'm going to wait a few seconds. It's, it's on the bed. It's on the, it's on the nightstand next to you. Maybe you're watching me on the phone. If so, just go ahead and, and, and get to your text app. And if you're ready to make a decision to trust Jesus with your life and your future, whether you're recommitting or doing it for the very first time, here's what I want you to do. Text Jesus to 77411. Just go ahead and do that right now. Make the decision. Do it right now. Text Jesus 77411. And we'll respond. Okay? I pray that you've made a decision today. All right. If you're, if you're continuing on our connection card, uh, under uh, the next section, there's a couple of choices for you to make under the response to the message. The second choice, if you check that, pray 40, I'll send you an email every day from now to Easter next weekend uh, with a scripture and a prayer. The first choice, if you check that, you're, you're committing to follow through on what I'm calling the response to this message. That's all the rest of us, right? Here's the response to the message that I want to challenge you to commit to. I will practice gratitude this week. You'll start finding ways to be grateful as I talk in the message. And here's a reflection question that I want you to really process. Talk about it with people in the room with you. Here it is. What is hindering me from experiencing joy? All right. Don't forget to invite your friends to uh, both our online Good Friday worship gathering and certainly to our online Easter celebration next weekend. Remember, they can be anywhere in the world. All right.